Welcome to the 316th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thank you for listening. You might want to strap on your boots today because it could get a little controversial. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things and yes, I'm going to talk about the old thing that I wouldn't didn't think I want to talk about anymore, and that's the COVID virus and the vaccine and treatment and all the hubbub that's going on. And uh, so we're gonna we're gonna delve into some of this stuff and um, present the side. So just for your FYI, if you don't want to listen to this stuff, turn it off right now. But otherwise, I'm gonna share my opinion. Um, not sponsored by anybody. But I do believe it's time that we all have a voice, and I'm going to use this podcast as my voice. But first, last week I had Addie Delaney Minerich on the show, and we talked about our trip from Houston to Florida. Now I'm going to tell you about the trip from Florida to Houston. I believe we beat our time by several hours, and... um, One of the things that we did to make our lives a lot easier was we used a thing called Rescue Remedy for Addie's very nervous German Shepherd. And it's an all-natural extract of flowers. Um, It is a homeopathic flower remedy developed by Dr. Bach, I believe in 1934. It contains rock rose. Uh, it contains impatience, clematis, star of Bethlehem, and cherry plum. And uh, four drops sold do ya, and we actually repeated it one more time with Haas at an 80-pound German Shepherd. Um, but he was calm. He wasn't overly sedated, um, and this is supposed to not sedate or make you tired, but he was pretty chill for the trip, and it made life um, a lot easier. And um, we, we kind of rinsed and repeated our same menu with pasta salad and vegetables and um, Caleb's new favorite, sourdough bread. And we actually uh, found a sushi restaurant at our stop in Mobile, Alabama and had Grubhub delivered to the room and had a little picnic again. So it was a pretty pleasant trip back to Houston. I'm sorry to see my... Uh, sorry to leave everybody, but we'll be in touch. Uh, we'll be in Texas again next month for the San Antonio 50K, and uh, then back to San and Saint or uh, to back to Austin in November for the swim run. So all roads lead through Houston. So we continue to make family first and uh, get some races in along the way. So it's all good. It's all good. I even on the way back in Houston Airport found a uh, restaurant. There are not many restaurants there, but they made me a salad with black beans, so all is good. I did have to make sure they have a refried version with meat, and of course I tell them to hold the cheese and hold the sour cream, but all worked out good. So I got asked a question by one of our members last week. Um, So here is what we have. What do we do? What do we do to make things better? I'm constantly hearing of families that don't want to see each other because they're afraid they'll be infected by COVID. They're afraid of people that are vaccinated. They're afraid of people that aren't vaccinated. And, um, you know, the world has been divided into those um, on in both camps. And, you know, what I'd like people to do is, you know, if you have the answer, if you have all the answers, then, you know, by by for sure, for sure, email me and, and you know, set me straight 
jamie at drdelaney.com. I'm inviting uh, your email that could be backed up with scientific data and real references, not he said, they said, she said. Um, I'm going to be taking some information um, uh, from uh, Dr. Zach Bush and a podcaster uh, that I listened to him in a discussion and things that I researched subsequently and sharing some of those. But, you know, I'd like to take the approach that it's a very positive thing. I think that SARS-CoV-2 is a virus. Um, There is... This is an opportunity for us to change. This is an opportunity for us to grow in a positive way as in society. This is an opportunity for us to get healthier. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people have done just the opposite. They've drank more, stayed indoors, become more depressed. There's been more suicides. People have gained weight instead of lost weight. And, you know, I, I ran into somebody the other day and they said, you know, I'm, I'm going to start trying to get healthy. This was after he recovered from COVID. And, you know, I, I want to, I'm glad, but, you know, it's been um, a long time coming. So, you know, we, you know, my mother always says that I work better with a fire under my backside. And I think a lot of people are like that, that, you know, when you're, when you're pushed to the wall, then you kind of react and do things better in a more positive way. And we've all been complacent because we're just waiting to see what other people do. I think from a scientific standpoint, there are a lot of things that we don't know. Um, and there's been a lot of science that's been very bad and collected and twisted and turned by media. So I, I don't think that there are right answers um, in, in a lot of aspects, but I do believe there's some common sense suggestions. And uh, perhaps if I share them with you, maybe you'll understand my, my viewpoint. Uh, maybe you won't. Um, and, and, and that's okay, too, because I do respect your uh, right to have a difference of opinion and express that even in a positive, kind sort of mash, uh, fashion. I am actually currently rereading a book by Susan Humphreys, and I hope to have her on the podcast at some point. Um, The name of the book is Dissolving Illusions, Disease Vaccines, and the Forgotten History. And uh, this book is full of references and quotes from back in the eras of smallpox and polio and a variety of different things. And I think that we have to study history in order not to repeat the mistakes uh, again, that, that we've done as a physician population. Um, I think, you know, now more than ever, physicians hate to admit they're wrong um, because of the legal system. We've, a lot of people feel that they don't have the ability to make a mistake or be wrong or change their minds. Um, we learn by doing. It's the practice of medicine. But I think that to practice medicine because if somebody gives us a protocol or says this is the way it should be done, um, I think we still need to be able to question. So I want to read you a couple of quotes from this book, um, and um, then we'll talk about them. In 1829, William Cobert, a journalist and English pamphleteer, wrote about... Um, The monetary amount, 20,000 pounds given to Dr. Edward Jenner in 1822 to further smallpox vaccine. And he states, In the midst of all this mad work to which the doctors, after having found it in vain to resist, had yielded, the real smallpox in its worst form broke out in the town of Ringwood in Hampshire. 
and carried off, I believe, more than 100 persons, young and old, everyone who had had the cowpox vaccine. And now what was said was the quackery, quackery exploded and the granters of the 20,000 pounds ashamed of what they had done? Not at all. The failure was imputed to unskillful operators, to the staleness of the matter, to its not being a genuine quality. What do we know now? Why did, why then, in hundreds of instances, person cowpox by Jenner himself have taken the real smallpox afterwards and either died from this disorder or narrowly escaped with their life? They tried to justify the vaccination by changing the goalposts from lifelong immunity to milder disease. Sound familiar? There was a anti-vaccination demonstration at Lyceter in 1885, Mr. Counselor Butcher addressed the audience. They were protesting the mandatory vaccination of their children. Many present had been sufferers under the acts, and they had been asked, was that in the future that they and their children might be let alone? They live for something else in this world than to be experimented upon for the stamping out of a particular disease. A large and increasing portion of the public were of the opinion that the best way to get rid of smallpox and similar diseases was to use plenty of water, eat good food, live in light and airy houses, and see that the corporation kept the streets clean and the drains in order. If such details were attended to, there was no need to fear smallpox or any of its kindred, and if they were neglected, neither vaccination nor any prescription by the Act of Parliament could save them. Dr. Miller noted... And he made an extremely important observation that even if vaccination did reduce the severity of smallpox, it still couldn't stop the spread of the disease because both the severe and mild forms were contagious. Professor Cruikshank, author of History of Pathology and Vaccination of King's College, London, wrote in 1884, Unfortunately, a belief in the efficacy of vaccination has been so enforced in the education of the medical practitioner that it is hardly probable that the futility of the practice will generally be acknowledged in the generation. Though nothing would, though nothing would more redound to the credit of the profession and give evidence of the advance in pathology and sanitary science, it is more probable that when by means of notification and isolation, smallpox is kept under control, vaccination will disappear from practice and will retain only historical interest. There was an experiment in Lyceter County after that where mandatory vaccination was halted. And compared to other places of equal population, there was much less smallpox. In Lyceter, during the 62 years since infant vaccination was abandoned, and this is reported in 1884, there have been only 53 deaths from smallpox, and in the past 40 years, only two deaths. Moreover, the experience in Lyceter is confirmed and strongly confirmed by that in the whole country. Vaccination has been steadily declining ever since the conscious clause was introduced. Until now, two-thirds of the children born are not vaccinated. Yet smallpox mortality has declined and is quite now negligible. In the 14 years, 1933 to 1946, there were only 28 deaths in a population of more than 40 million. And among those 28, there was not a single death of an infant under one year of age, compared to many infants that died that were immediately vaccinated. In 1980, the medical history article, Stuart Fraser commented on the success of the Lyceter 
method, which was basically to isolate people. Lysander stands as an example, probably the first, where measures other than total reliance on vaccination were introduced successfully to eradicate the disease from a community. A system of immediate notification, isolation, and quarantine of contacts is one which has proved particularly effective in containing and limiting smallpox. Sound familiar? This book is quite a good read, and again, it, it has a lot of data and a lot of references. We are, as a medical profession, uh, you know, everybody brings up smallpox was eradicated by vaccination, but the reality of it is smallpox was gone well before vaccination was, was stopped, and the smallpox vac- vaccination was never quantified as to the dose needed to provide immunity. There was never a ca- there was never a dosage that was determined that people were immune. The only thing that mattered was you got it, you got the vaccination and then there was a scab and then there was a scar and people were assumed to be immune from smallpox if that happened. It was tested in no other way. So why why are we letting this go? Why are we letting history repeat itself with the same wars that were happening in the 1800s over over smallpox and whether to vaccinate or isolate or fine or put parents in jail for not vaccinating their children or put people out of work if they're not if they're choosing not to get vaccinated. And again, just like the smallpox vaccine, these vaccines have not been fully tested. They are not FDA approved. There's no long-term studies, yet we're demanding that people have these and assuming that they work. And the only thing that they stated that would, would potentially benefit in the case of a COVID vaccine is that the severity of the illness may be less but not without consequence. So when people say these are safe and effective, all they need to go to the VARS data and look at what is a um, is voluntary reporting of the adverse events. There are many more adverse events with this vaccine than any other vaccine in history. So you can't say that this is not without risk. So what can we do to make the world a better place? What can we do to decrease our risk? Over the past, many of the viruses that have caused pandemics and epidemics have been associated with poor water quality, with sewage, poor sewage, with poor ventilation, with air pollution. What's going on now that, that's, that's causing us to have a problem? And I'm going to go into that because we're living with viruses every day of our life. There are 10 to the 30 one viruses in the air that we breathe. There are 10 to 31 viruses, a power of 10 to 31 in the ocean. There are 10 to the 30th in the, the ground. So we're living with viruses all the time. Our body is in harmony with viruses and bacteria. It's only when there's a problem, when there's imbalance in nature, that something happens. And one example would be that of skin infections in a diabetic. When a, a diabetes, when someone has diabetes that is poorly controlled, they are very uh, prone to skin infections because of the overgrowth of staph. Their microbacterium environment is disrupted to the point that they have an overgrowth of staph in their body and, and it attacks the body. We live with staph all the time on our skin. That's why when you have a surgical re- procedure, you're, you get scrubbed down to try not to keep the staph that's normally on your skin from going inside when you're cut. But 
in a poorly controlled diabetic, they get ulcers because there's an abundance of staph and it's out of balance and there's a problem with the barrier on the outer layer of their skin. Same way with a virus. When there's an out of ba- there's a there's a problem, more people are susceptible if there's an out of balance to viruses that we come in contact with. So what's causing more viruses to take over in today's population? It's very easy if you look back to look at our, the, the practice of uh, factory farming. Um, we have factory chicken farms, factory hog farms, um, think swine flu, H1N1, uh, bird flu, um, similar things. Um, crowded conditions, poor sanitation, contaminated water runoff, Think monocrop farming, glyphosate, insecticides, people getting their lawn treated because we want to have the most pristine lawn and we can't stand a bug that we don't like in our lawn. We disrupt the environment. We disrupt the whole ecosystem, our water supply. Um, you know, when you drink your city water, it it contains a tremendous, it's chlorinated to, to filter out most of the bugs, but there's heavy metals that, that may be present. There's uh, potential for uh, metabolites of medications, uh, metabolites of water runoff and, and poisons. Um, so our water supply is contaminated. Um, our environment is contaminated with pollution and smog and uh, things that, are, uh, that we shouldn't be breathing. Perhaps you don't get outside and people work in office buildings that the air is recycled and recycled and recycled. You know, if you work in a giant office building, how often do you think the filters are changed in the air conditioner and in the the ductwork? Only when something breaks. And, you know, so, I mean, it's the lowest cost, lowest maintenance that people can do to maintain the building. So the air quality is inherently poor. If people are working out and they're getting most of their exercise in a gym, they're using chemicals to try to spray down the equipment, uh, but you're in, again, a confined area with heavy, harsh chemicals that are toxins as well to the natural microenvironment. When we go out to eat, when we go to fast food, again, even the pristine Chick-fil-A, uh, we're not eating organic food. We're eating glyphosate preservative heavy foods that again are disrupting our our microbiome our gut barriers and leaving us susceptible to various viruses and bacteria that are that are out there we're overweight as a population 75% of the population is overweight adipose cells make inflammatory compounds adipose cells make endocrine type compounds and estrogen So people's hormonal system is out of whack. They're already inflamed. So you're eating poison, your body's inflamed, you're breathing contaminated air, and we're going to blame a virus for people being unhealthy. Who's at risk for COVID-19 infection in the worst outcome? It's people with hypertension, people that are overweight, diabetics, people with kidney failure, people that tend to be on statins and blood pressure medicine that increase the receptor density, the ACE2 receptors by means of these medications, and they're more susceptible to getting these different infections. 
most people agree that, you know, the common cold or a common virus is, is what doesn't respond to medications and it has to run its course. And our body is, and our body's immune system is educated because of that. We take the virus in, we take that genetic material, our innate immune system um, deals with it. We make antibodies to some. Otherwise, again, the innate immune system takes care of it right locally where it is, in our nose, uh, perhaps in our lungs if it gets worse. But for the most time, most viruses remain upper respiratory. When people smoke and vape and inhale toxins all day long, that first line of defense is missing. When you breathe through your mouth, when you don't use your diaphragm, you're not use, you're not you're not actually emitting antiviral, antibacterial type compounds that that your nose and your upper airway makes. You're not generating nitric oxide to dilate the the bronchial tubes so that you can get good air capacity. The vaccine is giving us a foreign protein. They are giving our cells the ability to make a foreign protein, which is the definition of an autoimmune disease. An autoimmune disease is when, the, when our bodies attack a foreign protein. If this mRNA protein um, gets into the blood system, it can disrupt the endothelial cells, which causes clotting. Gets into the lung cells, causes problems there, gets into the kidneys. And now we're seeing uh, in bars into the bone marrow and causing stem cell issues. How do we make things better? We start by, again, just like everything else, we start in our own house to make things better. We start in our own environment to make things better. We don't need control from the outside in. We need control from inside out. Start by getting healthy in your own household. Start by eliminating dairy products. Start by eliminating animal products. Change your cleaning fluids in your house. All these air fresheners and fake things that are in the air that cause problems. We cover up smells with other smells. Simple cleaning products, baking soda, vinegar, uh, goes a long way to take care of uh, cleaning and keeping our house clean. Open windows when you can. Change air filters. Get outside and exercise your immune system. If there are 10 to a power of 31 viruses out there, our, our immune system needs to be exercised. When we're exposed to this, these viruses, we take in the viral genome and we incorporate it into our own and make us stronger and healthier. We all knew this. Our grandparents knew this. You know, a pound of dirt, eat a pound of dirt. When kids are outside and they're playing, they do much better than those that are cooped inside. People that have lived and been city, city dwellers over the years, living in cramped environments with poor sanitations, do much worse than people living out into the country where they're spread out. Don't treat your lawn. Get rid of glyphosate. Get rid of, take it to the garbage disposal of waste, of toxic waste. Get rid of the Roundup. Get rid of all the pesticides and herbicides. There are plenty of ways to grow, um, grow things without using agriculturally or um, chemistry-made fertilizers, herbicides, and pesticides. You can use essential oils. Wonderside is a great product. I don't not sponsored by Wonderside, but they're essential oils for mosquitoes, flea re, flea repellents. 
Um, you know, there are many different things that are very natural and not chemistry and not toxic, uh, toxic experiments. We can't trust other people to take care of us. Big business has a way of getting around regulation and getting things passed. Roundup has known, Bear Monsanto has known for years that this stuff is toxic, and only after they've lost these lawsuits have they, are they starting to pull things. But they're, they're switching it around, and there's just other chemicals being made that, that bypass safety measures. Cook your own food. Buy organic or go to your local farmer's market and ask them how they grow their food. Cook your own food. You'll burn more calories preparing your own food. You'll teach your family a a life skill on how to make their own food. You'll be in control of the contaminants that you would have got at a restaurant, the preservatives that you don't have to have, and you'll make yourself healthier. Have you heard that having a dog or a cat in the household actually decreases uh, infections in children and makes their immune system more robust? There's all kinds of viruses and bacteria associated with an animal. Again, it exercises your immune system. We need positive interaction with other human beings. Go outside and play, exercise, and be with other people. Isolation makes people more suspicious of each other. Try to find areas that you have in common with someone else as opposed to just being different. There are hateful, hateful things on social media directing people to do this or to do that. People need to have a choice on what they do with their own life. Again, it starts at home. If we started at each person's home and picked apart what you do or you don't do in your own household, I think you would rather take care of your own household than tell somebody else what they need to do with their, their household. We not, as a healthcare providers, we need not be afraid. I've taken care of patients with AIDS, pneumonia, bronchitis, influenzas. That's what we do. We're not heroes. We're humans that are trying to care for other people the best that we can. I I saw a great quote from a nurse or as she was talking, and she said for 18 months she took care of patients in her hospital with various illnesses, including COVID, but now her hospital wants her to have a mandatory vaccination. It was okay for her to put herself and take care of her patients then, but now all of a sudden she's not qualified. There is no data to suggest that having that nurse take a vaccination is going to change her ability to perform. And in reality, we have a terrible nurses shortage. And by making mandates and people risking having other people's health decline or having people quit their job, we are going to make our healthcare system even worse. And I got to tell you, it's pretty bad right now. There's not enough nurses. There's way too much paperwork. There's way too much emphasis on computer and not patient care and not patient interaction. The best thing you can do is avoid the need to go to the hospital. I believe there's effective treatment for COVID-19. Again, 
I want to emphasize that people need to make themselves as healthy as they possibly can for not only this virus, but for all the viruses that they may come in contact or all the toxins that they might come in contact with in the future. I have had great success with a combination of vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, and vitamin C. I have used ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine successfully as well. It's very funny. Um, When I had COVID back in December, I um, had ivermectin for my dogs in the medicine, in the closet. And I looked at it and I thought, if I start to get really sick, maybe I'll take it and I'll take some. And I hadn't really looked at the dosage that uh, was needed, uh, nor had I ever prescribed ivermectin. I only knew it as a heartworm medicine for dogs. Ivermectin was actually patented in 1978 for parasitic diseases such as river disease, scabies, elephantitis, malaria, trichosomiasis, schistosomiasis, leishmaniasis, you know, things that are really common. It also has antiviral properties against things such as HIV-1, dengue, and SARS-CoV-2. It decreases viral replication. I repeat, it decreases the virus beginning to replicate when it first comes into your receptors. It's a very effective early treatment. It's also been used to treat people that have asthma or neurodegenerative diseases, and it has anti-cancer properties. So it's not going to be toxic in somebody that has asthma. It also, in anti-cancer properties, let's look even in breast cancer, it works on a variety of cell lines, and it actually decreases the um, activation of mTOR, which I've talked about in previous podcasts. It's associated, that's very elevated in breast cancer patients. It increases apoptosis, which is the natural killing of abnormal cells. It's been shown to work on triple negative breast cancer, which is very difficult to treat. This is extremely, this is an extremely benign, without side effects, without black box warnings. Very cheap medication that is never mentioned in the treatment of breast cancer or are never experimented on with recent, uh, in, in any kind of recent fashion. It's been shown to have effects in digestive cancer, such as gastric cancer, decreasing the proliferation of cells. It's been shown to work in colorectal cancer, again, increasing apoptosis, liver cancer, bile duct cancer, renal cell carcinoma prostate cancer, leukemia, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, brain gliomas, and lung cancer, as well as melanoma. It potentiates other medication in a lot of instances. So why isn't this cheap medication undergoing randomized placebo-controlled trials in the treatment of cancer? Why aren't we saying, hey, go ahead and take this ivermectin if you start to have symptoms because it's benign, it's cheap, and the worst-case scenario, it's going to help prevent some of your cancers or treat some of your cancers. It's not going to hurt the patient that's immunosuppressed. Hydroxychloroquine, again, is used to treat people that have autoimmune diseases. It's much safer than the vaccine. Why aren't we talking about it? We need to work together. We need to ask why. We need to get our own house in order. Tell me why we can't do these things. There has never been a treatment good for 
every single person in the population. We have used drugs off-label since they were invented. We never talk about nutrition and making people's immune function better. Most of the reasons that we don't do these things comes back to money. I am sorry it has taken me so many years before I've questioned a lot of the medications that I have prescribed over the years. But the more that I dig into it, the more I should have questioned. The last thing I'm going to say is please don't blame people for your infection or infecting somebody else. We've never done that with any other disease. I tell my patients every day that it is better to spend time with family and have quality time on this earth than to hide and be afraid to go outside because of a virus that has been villainized to make us all fearful of one another. Our living conditions are bad because we've let it become that way. We've gotten lazy as a society, lazy to cook our own food, lazy to grow some of our own food, lazy to not ask questions. So I'm asking you to take a few steps to use whatever this pandemic is to get your own house in order, to eat a little bit more healthy, to get rid of the animal products, to get rid of the environmental pollutants that you're using, and be more mindful about what you're doing in your own house and with your own family. Spend time with your family. Don't be afraid to shake somebody's hand or hug somebody because you might just exercise your immune system a little bit better. I have two nutrition classes in my office each week that we don't wear masks, that we cook, and we have fellowship and share stories about our week, about our struggles, and about our successes. Most people look forward to those interactions because it's with a group of like-minded people that aren't being harassed for wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, doing, you know, uh, vaccinating or non-vaccinating. But more than anything else, it's just about being together. If you'd like to be part of our community, we'd love to have you. We Zoom at one of those nutrition classes every week and it's put up on our members-only website. So becoming part of our practice gets you to be in a Zoom meeting with us wherever you are. Um, You can view all of our nutrition classes on our members-only website. We would love to help you get healthier with your nutrition and your exercise and your movement. Next week, I'll be having Katie Bowman from Move Your DNA and Dynamic Aging on the podcast to talk about movement and how we can move our bodies in daily activity to prolong our life and to make ourselves healthier. So I hope you'll enjoy that. I promise I won't go on any rampages next next week. I believe everybody has the right to choose what health path is best for them and that we don't have the right to judge others for that. I would like to educate you on my views, but they're only my views. Take them or leave them. And I still welcome you in your practice, in my practice, whether you're vaccinated or you're not, whether you're plant-based or you're not, because I'd like to educate on educate you on what I think are healthy practices. I'm open for anybody to ask me questions, and most of my members will, will let you know that I, I don't, uh, I, I encourage questions. I encourage being challenged. 
And that's all I have for this week. I hope you have a great week. Stay healthy. Again, go hug your kids, as running in the center of the universe Dave would say. Go pet your dog. Go out for a run and eat whole food plant-based. Take care.